In, uh, in high school and in college, I uh, experientially, I guess you would say, experientially, I became somewhat of an expert on boy-girl relationships that don't work out. Um, if, if you know about boy-girl relationships that don't work out, you know that there's two parties. There is the dumper and the dumpy. And at some point, those two forces will collide, and then you'll have kind of, you know, what we call a breakup. So if you're a normal person in this room, you've probably had a little bit of experience in both categories. You've probably had some experience as the dumper and a little bit of experience as the dumpy. Maybe you're a very exceptional person, and you've always been the dumper, right? Good for you. Um, I, I, on the other hand, was always the dumpy, right? Um, and, and sort of kind of got into that, that pattern. And, and when I was in college, it sort of became something that followed me around. I, uh, having a crash and burn on a first date became known as pulling a Hoover. And um, <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Uh, I, came, I came back to the dorm room one night after a date that didn't work out. My roommate Mike was making an, an, a notch on the wall. And I said, what is that, the number of days till the end of semester? And he's like, no, that's the number of times you crashed and burned in the last two weeks, right? So I'm familiar with all the lines. I remember them quite well, right? You know, the uh, I need some space, which means I stand here, you stand way over there, right? Or um, it's not you, it's me, which translates out to, yeah, it's you. Um, I need, or my favorite, I need to focus on my schoolwork right now, which basically means given the choice between a date with you and studying for my trig final, I think I'd study for my trig final, right? Um, but there is one breakup line that we all know. It's the line, and we're used to it when somebody says, hey, we need to talk, right? Man, doesn't that line just strike fear into your heart, man? I mean, somebody says, hey, we need to talk. You know, that's intimidating because you're thinking, okay, what did I do? You know, why, why do they all of a sudden hate my guts? How's this thing going to go down? You know, and you know that when somebody says, hey, we need to talk, they're not inviting you out on a date. No, they're inviting you to a conversation about the status of your relationship, right? And that's intimidating. But I want to ask you a question. Taking it out of the realm of the romantic, really the boy-girl relationship thing, and putting it in the, the realm of the most important relationship in your life, your relationship with God, how would you feel if Jesus came to you and said, hey, we need to talk? And you knew that what he meant was that he wanted to have a conversation with you about the status of your relationship with him. See, I think... It's one thing to know that you have a relationship with God. It's one thing to be secure in that and to know, okay, I, I do have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's one thing. And, and, and I think a lot of us probably are secure in that. But I think where a lot of us kind of struggle sometimes with a little bit of insecurity is in this business of this question about what's the nature of my relationship with God? What's the nature of my relationship with Jesus? I mean, God is perfect and I am imperfect. So there's always that tension. You know, there's always that tension of, well, what... How, how does Jesus feel about me when, I, when I'm not living up to my full potential and, and, and even sometimes when I experience failure? So just asking, just asking, if you got a message from Jesus and the message was in 48 hours, we need to talk and we're going to talk about the status of our relationship, what would you be feeling? Would you be nervous? Would you be excited? Could you predict the outcome? Could you predict what Jesus would be wanting to say to you? See, I think this is something that leaves a lot of us God followers off balance. We just don't really know. And that's what I want to do. Before you leave 
this morning, I want you to leave with a way to determine what the status of your relationship is with Jesus Christ. You leave here knowing. If Jesus would say, hey, we need to talk, you would know what that talk would be about. And you'd have a way of determining where you're at. And I think in order to do that, we're going to go to the story of an appointment between Jesus and one of his disciples named Peter. Now, I really like reading about Peter, and I like reading what I believe Peter wrote. As a matter of fact, I believe Peter wrote the book of Mark in, in the New Testament, in the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I believe Peter uh, was the person who dictated the book of Mark. I believe Mark was who wrote it down as Peter dictated. Um, but Peter is an interesting guy. He's, he's full of life and excitement. Um, you know, I know you hear my dad joke about, you, you know, he, he has ADD. Well, you know the way the genetics work. If, if your parent has ADD, you're much more likely to have it yourself. So here I am. Hello. Right? Um, but Peter, I can identify with because I think he's in the same, he's in the same boat. It's interesting. Peter has the same life philosophy I have, ready, fire, aim. He has no filter. Whatever is on his mind is going to come out his mouth. And, and, and he has all the best intentions in the world, but sometimes those intentions don't materialize functionally. And I think as a, as a, as a God follower, I can totally identify with that. I have good intentions, but they don't always work the way I have planned. And so what I want to do is take you to the life of this man, Peter, and look at what happened between him and Jesus in the interaction, a moment where there was a point of failure, and talk to you about what happened when Jesus said, Peter, we need to talk, okay? So I want to take you to the beginning of the relationship. This starts in John 1. This is the beginning of Peter's relationship with Jesus. The Bible says, Simon, Peter's brother Andrew, was one of these men who heard what John the Baptist said and then followed Jesus. So Peter's brother Andrew had followed uh, 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 Jesus first. Uh, and Andrew went to find his brother Simon. Now, Simon and Peter are the same guy, all right? And can, contextually here, there were three main languages being spoken, and so you could easily have a person with three names, and those three names corresponded to the three different languages. It's just what was most comfortable for a people of a certain people group to call you. And so, um, as you'll see here in a moment, uh, Jesus gives Simon a name, uh, uh, Peter, but his name was also Simon. His name was also Cephas, which is uh, Peter just in a different language. So we got a lot of names going on for one person, but you'll bear with us as we go, go along through this. Uh, then um, Andrew, Peter's brother, came to Peter and said, we have found the Messiah. And so Andrew brought Peter to meet Jesus. And looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John. Now we're going to come back to that phrase, Simon, son of John, here in a minute. Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And Cephas and Peter, both of them mean the same thing in English. They mean rock, right? So, Matthew 4, this is a little while later. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Okay? So, Peter and Andrew, they've got this fishing business going on. And this is important to know, because if... Um, if you've had a, a long time in traditional church and you've seen the stained glass depictions of Peter or you've been to the biblical art museums and you've seen the gaunt, slight figure of Peter with the, you know, with the tiara crown on and all that sort of thing, um, you can just dispense with that, right? Peter was, Peter was a man's man. He was probably a very big guy. He was not the kind of guy you wanted to mess with. Um, fishermen uh, were, were real guys. And, and Peter would have been, man, he was, he was a guy that you would, if you needed to walk down a dark alley at night and you needed somebody there for protection, you would have brought Peter along with you. Peter and Andrew had a successful business. To be successful fishermen in that time, they had to be shrewd businessmen. They had to know how to be a success in life. They would have been respectable blue-collar business owners. And Jesus showed up on the scene and called out to them both. And he said, come follow me. Those two words, follow me, are very important. We'll come back to them in a moment. 
and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Now, this is the fifth time I've given this talk, and I really struggle to communicate this point that I'm getting ready to say. I'm going to try my best, but what I really want you to understand, if you can put yourself in Peter's place, when Jesus comes to Andrew and Peter and says, come follow me, what he is doing is he is calling them out of their comfort zone. I mean, you've got Peter, you think about this. In, in those days, these guys would learn their trade as a preteen. From, from 11, 12, 13, they were starting to do what they would eventually do as an adult. And they would do that career for their entire adult life. I mean, th- this was his way of life, learning to fish. And then on top of that, he had learned how to, how to manage the business, how to work within the system. The Romans were, you know, an occupying force. And so he was dealing with the Jewish business leaders, and, or the, the, the Jewish uh, rules and regulations. And then on top of those rules and regulations, he was dealing with the Roman rules and regulations. So he would have been successful at what he did, but it was where he was comfortable. And not only that, he was comfortable with living his life. All of us get this. We grow up a certain way. We grow up in a certain home with a certain family and a certain approach to life. So our way of dealing with people and handling conflict and all these other sorts of things, they, we eventually develop into a comfort zone. And, and Peter is right smack dab in the middle of that. And Jesus comes and says, come follow me and calls Peter out of his comfort zone. Now, certainly that's true geographically, because the Bible says that in order for Peter to follow Jesus' calling, Peter and Andrew, they had to leave the nets and the boats and the fish. Geographically, they walked away from their comfort zone, but it was more than just geographically. It was lifestyle. It was their way that God called Peter out of the comfort zone of his lifestyle. Check this out. Think about this. Imagine that you're Peter. Jesus comes to you and says, I want you to follow me. So you leave everything behind geographically. You leave your comfort zone. You follow Jesus. And when you do, you're waiting for him to start teaching because you know Jesus is a teacher. So you've got your notepad out and your pen. You're going to take some notes. He's going to start teaching and you're going to learn what he says about how you're supposed to live your life. Now, check this out. In Matthew 5, Jesus starts teaching. And this is just, I just, I just cherry-picked one section here. But he says, You have heard the law says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If I'm Peter, I'm going, say what? <laughs> I just told you. Peter was a man's man. He was very unlikely, in my opinion, he was very unlikely to let somebody just, you know, tear into him. And Jesus, I mean, because that his, his comfort zone, he grew up learning, you defend yourself. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not going to be the way it works if you follow me. If you follow me and someone slaps you on one cheek, you're going to turn the other cheek as well. And then he says, if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Now, here's what you have to understand. We live in a society, of course, where uh, there's been a lot of laws written. And so there's a very codified business um, uh, paradigm that people work within. Certainly there's a, a court system if that fails. But, but there is a system. And in, in, the time, in the day and age we're talking about here, it was much more informal. And so the courts sort of settle, so the courts would settle all sorts of little minor disputes. And, and it became a real hassle. And people really hated being dragged into court for basically no reason. So I assume that Peter as a businessman had been to the courtroom a few times. And it wasn't a fun place to be. But I believe that Peter's comfort zone, Peter had learned from his parents and from everything else that he had learned through uh, growing up that you defend yourself. When somebody comes after you and complains against you, if you're in the right, you defend yourself. And Jesus just said, if somebody takes you to court on a frivolous charge and takes away your, your shirt, sues you for your shirt, give up your coat as well. That's not what he's used to. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now, the way this worked, Rome was an occupying force. 
And so if a Roman soldier happened to be going through this area um, and they had their pack and their gear with them, they could, by law, they could demand that a Jewish man carry their pack a mile. That was, that was the metric that was set up by the law. And so the Jewish people, not wanting to have to do anything more for the Roman uh, folks than they had to, set up mile markers, right? So they would, they would delineate the beginning of a mile, and they would make sure that they had paced off exactly a mile, not an inch or a foot farther, and so that when they finished carrying that pack exactly a mile, they could take it off their shoulder, throw it down, and say, there you go, and go back to what they were doing. And my hunch is, Peter big strapping guy that he was, had probably carried a few Roman packs. He'd probably walked the mile. He'd probably seen that mile marker, you know, off in the distance and just couldn't wait till he got to the end of that mile marker so he could throw that pack down and go back to what he was doing. That was his comfort zone. And now Jesus said, oh, by the way, if that happens in the future, I want you to go an extra mile. And then I think one of the most profound statements in the Bible Jesus said, you heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you or or who treat you badly. Now you tell me, how much farther could you get someone out of their comfort zone? I mean, he's had to leave his occupation, his nets, his fish, all the things that make sense. And and, and, and above all that, Jesus is saying, I'm going to change everything about how you interact with people, how you deal with people who who, who treat you badly. I'm going to tell you different ways to go about it when people try to take advantage of you. And, And everything about where Peter was comfortable has changed. But there was something interesting about this. When you follow Jesus, and some of you could, could, could really testify to this, when you follow Jesus, and Jesus finds us in our comfort zone always, and then Jesus calls us out of our comfort zone, and then we live outside of it, there is a season that we experience where we begin to see things happen that we never thought possible. See, I, I'll give you an axiom for life, and, and you can count on this. You'll never experience your full potential for God from inside your comfort zone. Never, never, never. And so when God calls you outside of your comfort zone, there is this empowering feeling that all of a sudden you're beginning to experience potential in a way you've never experienced it before. And so that's what was happening with Peter. As a matter of fact, Peter actually uh, became sort of like the head disciple is what it appears. I mean, if you read the Gospels, every time you see a listing of the 12 disciples, Peter's name will always be first. In addition, there were several times when um, Jesus would, would speak to all the disciples, but, but the Bible says he would speak to Peter, and it was as though Peter was to go tell the rest of the disciples. Or sometimes the disciples would have a question for Jesus, or they would be upset about something, and they would go tell Peter and expect Peter to go ferry that message to Jesus. As a matter of fact, a couple times Peter got in trouble on behalf of all the disciples. And so it was like he, he was beginning to find, I mean, back when he was fishing, he had a position of leadership and, 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 and he was running the company. And now he's almost found a, a new place with Jesus. It's like now he's kind of like found his spot. And I, I believe that for Peter, he was beginning to feel like I belong here. Jesus may have called me out of my comfort zone, but I, I belong here. I belong with Jesus. I belong following Jesus. I mean, after all, It was Peter who said to Jesus, as Jesus was walking on the water in the storm, Peter said, if it's really you, then call me out to come out there on the water with you now. Being a fisherman, I think he understood the properties of water. And that being said, for him to say, I want you to call me out on the water to be with you, you know what that tells me? That tells me that Peter had gotten to the place where he believed that he belonged outside his comfort zone. 
that's awesome. And maybe you're at that stage in your relationship with Christ. Maybe God found you in your comfort zone, and then God called you out of your comfort zone. And when you got out of your comfort zone, you began to find that because you're with Jesus, you, you have potential to do things you didn't have before. And Jesus is doing things through you that you didn't think you were capable of doing. And there is the sense in your heart that even though I'm not in my comfort zone anymore, I belong here. I belong following Jesus. I belong outside my comfort zone. And I think that's where Peter was for most of his time with Jesus. But there was a sequence of events that happened that I think really put Peter off balance. And I think we can relate to it. For the tech team, I'm skipping a passage. I'm skipping to the Mark 14 passage. And this is what the Bible tells us, that on the way to the cross, Jesus told the disciples, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Jesus is telling the disciples that all of them are going to leave him. And Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Which, by the way, I always thought if I was one of the other disciples, I would have thought, well, thanks a lot, Peter. Appreciate all that faith you have in us. Even if we desert him, you'll stick around. That's great. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. So you get the picture. Jesus said, when I go to the cross, you're all going to scatter. You're all going to go your different directions. And Peter said, I would never do that. No, I'm, I'm sticking right with you. Wherever you go, I go. And Jesus said, by the time the rooster crows, crows twice tonight, you will have said three times that you don't even know who I am. And, 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 and if you're Peter, you've got to be thinking, okay, this is the first time Jesus has ever been wrong, right? Because I totally can control this. I can totally do this. I'm not going to let Jesus down that way, right? So much happens after that. You have the, the betrayal. You have, uh, you, you, you have the, the trial, the, the crazy, it wasn't even a, you can't even really call it a trial of Jesus. And then you have Jesus' terrible beating. And it, that was described a couple weeks ago in the series. And as Jesus, now I want you to get the, the, the chronology of this in line. As Jesus is being beaten within an inch of his life, the Bible says that Peter was in the courtyard below. And one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter Doing what? Standing right by Jesus? Being right there? Right in the middle of everything? No, he was over in the courtyard below warming himself at the fire. Now this girl that noticed Peter worked for the high priest. Now the high priest is one of the key figures who was putting Jesus on the cross. And Peter knows that this girl could get him in some serious trouble. She looked at him closely and said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. And then, uh, and then he went out into the entryway. So not only did he lie, he tried to kind of escape. Just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter. So now they've got a group together and said, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Now, this next verse is one of the reasons why I believe Peter dictated the book of Mark. Because the next verse says, suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. That's a first person account. Peter's saying, and then I remembered. 
I remember what Jesus said I would do. The Bible says Peter broke down and wept. If ever the question was wide open, it was open for Peter now. What is your what is the status of your relationship with Jesus Christ? And three days after the crucifixion, when Jesus walked out of that tomb on his own power and proved that everything he ever said was completely true, it only got more complicated. Because now what it was is everything Jesus ever promised, he followed through on. But what Peter promised was a complete flop. He messed everything up. And now Jesus wanted to set up an appointment with Peter. It was the equivalent of Jesus saying, Hey, Peter, we, we have to talk. And the Bible tells us that Jesus set up the time and place. Matthew 28, the Bible says the 11 disciples left for Galilee, 11 because Judas is no longer with them, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So Jesus gave them a specific place. He said, go meet on this mountain, right? And the Bible says in John 21 that several of the disciples were there in the mountain in Galilee. And, and Peter said, I'm going fishing. That sounds like a pretty innocuous statement. After all, Peter was a fisherman. Maybe he was saying, I'm just going to go catch us some breakfast, right? But the Bible language scholars tell us that there is no doubt that that is not what he was saying. The language scholars tell us that what Peter was saying is, I quit. I'm done. I'm going to go back to what I know how to do. I'm going to go back to where I don't fail. I'm going to go back to where life made sense. Because I know about fish, and I know about nets, and I know about boats. But I obviously don't know how to honor a promise. I honestly, I obviously don't know how to follow Jesus the way Jesus asked me to follow him. I obviously don't know how to live the life that I've been called to live. So I'm going to go back to things that make sense. I'm going to go back to where I will not be a failure. Jesus found Peter in his comfort zone. Jesus called Peter out of his comfort zone so that he could experience life at another level. And Peter had gotten to a season of life where he felt like he belonged, but then he hit a failure point and it was that failure that convinced him, I don't belong here anymore. I'm going to go fishing. The Bible says that the other disciples went with him. You know, he, he was kind of the head disciple, so as he went fishing, the rest of the guys went with him. They went out in the boat, and they tried to catch some fish. They didn't catch anything all night. And the Bible says that Jesus was standing on the beach, and the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? And they replied, no. And then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. And actually, Jesus was letting them catch fish for a reason. We'll get to that in a second. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, that would have been John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, jumped into the water, and headed to the shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. So Jesus made them breakfast. And it's important that you recognize the fish are already cooking on the fire. Okay, And so then Jesus says, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Now, he would have had to have said this directly to Peter, and I'll tell you why. Because immediately it says, Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. Now, Peter, being kind of like the senior guy on the team here, would not normally have gone to the net and grabbed the fish and brought him back to the shore. So I believe that Jesus specifically told Peter, go bring some of the fish you've just caught. And the Bible says that the fish that Peter brought were 153 large fish, and, the, the, uh, and yet the net had not torn. Now, come and have breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus served them the bread and the fish. Now, after breakfast, now this, so this is when the appointment is between Jesus and Peter. This is the we have to talk talk, right? The, Peter tried to skip 
the we have to talk talk. He was waiting for the we have to talk talk, but he was going to try to skip it by going fishing. But now Jesus came and found him because Jesus was not skipping out on the appointment. So now Jesus is there. They've had breakfast. And Jesus said, Peter, now it's time for us to talk about the status of our relationship. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What a profound statement. First of all, he says, he calls Peter Simon, son of John. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus generally calls Simon Peter. But now he says, Simon, son of John. When was the last time we saw that? It was back when he met Jesus. And Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you're going to be called Peter. Why would Jesus call him Simon, son of John? Well, it's because he had quit. He was back to being Simon the fisherman. Jesus had to go find Simon the fisherman because he was Peter, but he decided to go back to being Simon the fisherman. So now Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And when he says, do you love me more than these? What these? What is that? Well, he had just told Peter to drag that net of 153 fish onto the shore. So he was saying, the fish, the nets, the boats, all that stuff that you think you don't have the capacity to fail in. Peter, do you love me more than your comfort zone? The English language kind of lets us down here. The Greek language is, is a lot more complex. And where in the English language we may only have one word corridor, there will be three or four word corridors in Greek. And, and, and that's the way it is with love. And so you have to know that, that if you read an English Bible and, and you see this, this conversation between Jesus and Peter, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. It, it sounds like it's a very simple conversation, but it's a very complex conversation. And you, you know what it's like if you've been in a dating relationship with someone and, you say, and, and they say to you, do you love me? And you go well, I like you an awful lot, right? That's kind of what's going to happen here between Jesus and Peter. And I'll try to, instead of giving you a Greek, Greek syntax lesson, which I couldn't do because I'm not an expert in Greek, instead of doing that, I'm just going to kind of put some substitutions in here so you can hear basically what the meaning of this was. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me with a sold-out love? Do you love me with a committed love, a sacrificial love, a love that goes beyond, the kind of love that would do anything to go the distance, and Peter turns to him and says, well, Lord, you know I have affection for you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Why would he say feed my sheep? Well, remember, Jesus had put Peter in kind of a place of authority with the disciples. He had, he had, he had put Peter in a place of ministry to the disciples. And now that Jesus was going back to the Father, Peter was going to play a large role in the formation of the church. And, and Jesus had a, a job for Peter to do, to see to it that the people that were going to follow God would have some direction and some leadership. And so Jesus was saying, I need you to do this. And what he was saying is, Peter, don't quit. If you love me, don't quit. But I don't know if you've ever dealt with this before. But if you've ever talked to somebody who's really or at least they really feel like they've messed up. I mean, they feel like they've really messed up. And you know when you talk to them, their head's down like this, they won't even make eye contact with you. And they're really, really down. And you try to reassure them that it's okay. You try to reassure them that they can keep going, that they can move on. And it, but, but when you say it, it's like not connecting. It's, it's not making it there. And I just can't help but see as Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with a sold-out love, a love that is higher than anything? And Peter says, well, you know I have affection for you, but I see Peter not even able to make eye contact with his Savior because he knows what he's done. And Jesus turns back to him again because this hasn't been settled yet. 
And he says, Peter, do you love me with a sold-out love? Do you love me with a love that's bigger than anything? Do you love me with a sacrificial love? And Peter turns back to him and says, well, Lord, you, you know I have feelings of affection for you. A second time. And Jesus says, well, then shepherd my sheep. Don't quit. But I don't think Peter still could hear it. Still, I think it still couldn't, couldn't make it, couldn't connect for him. So Jesus asks an interesting question. Jesus, Jesus changes the word. And Jesus says, Peter, do you have affection for me? And the Bible says that Peter was hurt. His feelings were hurt. Why would Jesus ask me that? I mean, I may have failed. I may not have been totally committed. I may not have been completely sold out. I may not have loved with a sacrificial love. I may have fallen short. But he's asking me now if I even have affection for him. And, and, and Peter broke down and said, Lord, you know everything and you know I have affection for you. It is as though finally they're talking on the same level. And Jesus says, do you, do you have affection for me? And Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know I have affection for me. And Jesus says, good, then don't quit. Then don't quit. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus says, follow me. Well, those were the words that sort of started the relationship out, weren't they? Jesus found Peter in his comfort zone, called him out to a place where he could experience life at another level, a life where he got in on, on Jesus' credentials. He got to be part of things that he would not have otherwise got to be a part of. He got to see things he would have not otherwise gotten to see. And now he hit a failure and he was sinking back into his comfort zone. And Jesus was saying, look, the original call was to follow me. And now I'm coming back and you think that it's time to slip back into your comfort zone. And what I'm telling you is it's still the same directive. It's still the same call. And the call is to follow me. Recent ABC News poll found that 83% of Americans claim to be Christians. 83% said that they would identify at some level with Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that in our world there's a, a disconnect between what people say they believe and how they live? Isn't it interesting that in Jonathan Hoover's life there's a disconnect between what I say I believe and what I live? Why is that? You know, I think it is. I, I mean, I, I, I should say there are a few rebellious people out there. You know, so, I mean, you got to, you know, they're, they're kind of the outliers. So you take them off the table for a moment. I think most of us, we've been along the same path Peter's been on. God found us in our comfort zone. He called us out of our comfort zone. And for a while, we felt like we belonged there. But then we failed. And we said, you know what? This probably means I should just go back. This probably means I can't do it. This probably means I'm not good enough. And if Jesus were to have a talk with me about the status of the relationship, I would find out how messed up I am. And I can't even imagine what that conversation would be like. And yet, we know what that conversation would be like because Jesus had it with Peter. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? If you love me, then don't quit. Follow me. See, failure, I, I believe will motivate you to do one of two things. Failure will either motivate you to slip back into your comfort zone or it'll make you believe in something bigger than yourself. See, I think all the disciples had something to learn. I, I mean, I, I'm going to have to ask God this someday when I'm in heaven, but as I read the Gospels, I feel like each one of the disciples had their own life struggle and, and, and were learning their own lesson from following Jesus. And I think, one, I think the primary lesson Peter had to learn 
was that he too often trusted in himself. As a follower of God, he too often, I mean, that's, that's when almost every time Jesus corrects Peter, it's because Peter thought that he had the best idea. He thought he had the right idea. He thought he knew from looking inside what to do. And when this happened, it was like the, the final touching piece on the big life lesson that he needed to learn to understand that when you fail, it is there to communicate I need to understand, I cannot trust myself. I need to trust something bigger than me. That is, by the way, the motivation to follow. I told you that my goal for this morning was to have you leave with a a way of knowing what the status of your relationship is with Jesus Christ. Here it is. It's simply this. The status of of your relationship with Jesus Christ is not measured by the significance of your successes or the severity of your failures. It is measured by the strength of your resolve today to follow Jesus. Notice I said today. It's so, so important. Today. Today. Because notice that when Jesus and Peter meet, and I I, I encourage you, read read the whole transcript here. When Jesus and Peter meet, Not once does Jesus mention the past. Not once, not one word. Notice that everything Jesus says is about the future. They're all future tense verbs. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Then shepherd my sheep. Then feed my sheep. Then follow me. All of those are forward words, not backward words. And Satan likes to come to us and take the past and the failures that we've had and the the things that just keep us up at night because we think, how could I do that? He likes to take that and hit us over the head with it like a baseball bat and keep us thinking that the place that we belong is in our comfort zone. But Peter had to, but why did Jesus and Peter have this appointment? It was because Jesus needed to come and and tell Peter, hey, are you sure you want to be in this comfort zone? Because I think you belong over there. And by the way, I'm not going to hang out worrying about your past because I've already died and paid for everything that you've done wrong anyway. I'm focused on your future. So why would you roll around and worry about your past when you could just come on with me and we can move into the future? See, I'm saying this because there's some people in this room that need to shake off a few things that are keeping you awake at night. You need to just let go of the failures of the past and let God move you into the future. If God is more concerned with your future than your past, then why shouldn't you be? It's time to move forward. I want to, yeah. I want to close with an embarrassing admission. It's been five services. Confession's good for the soul. This is the fifth time. I do not like turning left into oncoming traffic. I really, I really don't like that. There's something about it, you know? Cars racing towards you as you're broadside, it's not my, not my thing, you know? And I have a life philosophy, and my life philosophy is that if you make enough right turns, you will eventually end up wherever you would have ended up if you had taken a left turn, right? <laughs> That's a geometrical proof. It works every time. So, um, but I have, over the past couple of years, I've traveled uh, more than I had in the past, and I've been to some larger cities. I've been to Houston. I've been to a couple cities in California. I've been to, I guess the last trip I took was to Atlanta. And I've learned that the phenomenon that the rest of the country refers to as traffic is slightly different than the phenomenon that he, we here in Wichita refer to as traffic, right? It's not quite, not quite the same thing. And so uh, it was dark. I had, I, I had a late flight. Um, but I had an early morning meeting at the church uh, that I was going to, and so I, I wanted to kind of get a jump on things and locate the church before I went to the hotel, and so I'm in this rental car. I've got the GPS out and uh, driving through a, a very busy part of Atlanta, 
and kind of a kind of one of those suburb areas that have just kind of absorbed into the main city. And as I'm driving through, I get to right about where the church is, and the GPS says turn left. Now there is no light here, and and there are cars in the in the lane across from me, and they're all going about 80 miles an hour, and there's only about an, a foot of space between each car, right? So I'm thinking there is no way. I mean, not unless God himself descends from heaven and says, you have to turn left here. Am I turning left? So I did what I do, and I turned right, right? So I ended up in this little kind of like business subdivision area, right? And, and the back of it was closed off for construction. So you end up in this kind of loop thing, right? And so I drove around, I get in the loop, and it brings me right back to where I came in. And now there's a no right turn sign and a little bit of a curb where you can't turn right. All you can do is turn left. And the GPS is taunting me because the GPS is saying, turn left, stupid. You should have turned left in the first place. And now you're really going to have to turn left. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. So I end up going around the loop again a few times, four, five, six, seven times. And as I'm going around, right, I keep passing this stop station at 7-Eleven or something. And there's nobody in there, you know, it's late at night. And the guy behind the counter is just watching my car go around and around, you know. And so I figured I can't be any more embarrassed than I already am. So I pull into the stop station. I go and I ask the guy, I'm like, I'm trying to get to this church. Can you tell me uh, how, to, how to get there from here? You know, even though probably was two and a half blocks away. And he said, yeah, just go to that intersection right there and turn left. And I said, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I said, I, I, is there any way I can turn right? to get out of here. And, and he said, well, do you see that no right turn sign there? And I said, yes. He said, do you see that Atlanta officer sitting right there? I said, yes. He said, well, you should do the, be able to do the math, you know? And so I said, well, I, you know, I've, I've thought about it, and now I've decided that I don't really need to go see the church b- before I turn in tonight. So if you can just tell me how to get to my hotel from here, that would be swell. And he's like, yeah, go to that intersection and turn left, right? <laughs> you know what's interesting? And because and, the, the guy said, the guy said, let me, let me do you a favor, he said, like, I'm just going to help you out here. He said, you're going to have to turn left. And I sat there at the intersection with my GPS giving me the same instructions my GPS had given me 40 minutes ago and realizing that the only way out of my right-hand mistake was a left-hand turn. And I'm here to tell you, this is the one thing, if you remember one thing from this entire morning's talk, this is what I want you to take home with you, that the way out of failure is to follow. The way out of failure is to follow. Jesus will always give you the opportunity to follow him. That is his nature. The same way he came to Peter and called him out of his comfort zone, he will always give you the opportunity not to slide into the mundane, not to slip back into what you think is a guaranteed success, but to stay in there and and to wrestle with the challenges of following Jesus and to experience life at a level that others will never get to see. And he will give you that opportunity, but when you experience failure, the only way back to an exceptional life is to make the decision, again, to follow. So that's why Jesus needed to have that appointment with Peter, was to say, Peter, the way out of failure is to follow. Come back. Don't quit. And I just, I say that because in this room, I want you to know, if you've experienced failure, if, if you had an appointment with Jesus, it would not be about your past. It would not be about the details of what you did wrong. It would be Jesus saying, do you love me? Then follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that you love us enough to lead us. Thank you that you call us to a life that is above the mundane. It's above the average. You call us to exceptional things, spectacular things that we can't even imagine. Thank you that you're such a big God that that you can overcome our failures, that, that even when Peter denied you, you still died on the cross and paid for our sins. So I thank you for the fact that even when I let you down, it doesn't derail your purpose. It doesn't derail your plan. You still have it all under control. 
And I just pray that for anyone in this room struggling with feelings of failure, that you would empower them and enable them to leave them and move forward. In the name of Jesus, heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. I know I'm in overtime, but if you're in this room and you would say, you know what, Jonathan, you talk about the status of my relationship with Jesus. I don't even have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to. What would I have to do? Well, here's the thing. Jesus has already done the hard part. He's already died on the cross to pay for everything you've done wrong, and he's holding out the gift, offering you the gift of a free relationship with him. All you have to do is to accept it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the words to a very simple prayer. And this is a prayer that you can say silently in your head to God, but if you do, it will be settled once and for all. Ready? Here we go. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. I know that I failed, and I know that I can't make up for those failures on my own. So I ask for your forgiveness. I ask you to lead me out. And I ask you to make me God's child. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer, we have something that we'd like to give you. It's a packet of information and a DVD and a, a Bible. I'd like to give that to you. So if you just prayed to receive Christ, you can take that Talk to Us card that you got when you came in and hand that in at guest services, and they'll give you that packet. Thank you so much for being here this weekend. Next week, we start a brand new series.